0: Our text today comes from the book of First Peter, chapter three. There goes my bookmark. First Peter, chapter three, verses thirteen through seventeen. I don't really need it, Justin. First Peter, chapter three, verses thirteen to seventeen. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow our heads in prayer and ask that God's Spirit would help us here and illuminate the eyes of our hearts. God, we need more than ever We thank you for this new day, but we cannot live this day without your Spirit. We thank you that you have granted us kindness to give us this big parking lot to meet in. We need your words to go from my lips to everyone who is listening online and sitting in this parking lot that we would have the word implanted deep in our hearts. We would be remade for your good work. And we would be ready to give an answer. God, help us now by the power of your word and your spirit at work in us. Amen. If you can't hear me, just give me a wave and I got a backup plan. But we'll try it again. Afshin grew up a child in an Iranian Muslim home adoring his father, thinking his dad to be his hero, the greatest man he's ever known. But when Christ broke through Afshin's heart and saved him, his father said to him, Afshin, if you are going to be a Christian, then you cannot be my son. Choosing to follow Christ, Afshin did not get to speak with his father for many years. Maya Moore was an accomplished basketball player. She had won two college national championships, four WNBA championships, two World Cup gold medals, and two Olympic gold medals. But she gave it all up, she says, to know Christ and to make Him known. And she's given her life now to serving those in the prison system so that they can know Christ too. Catherine Butler was a girl who dreamed about being important, being valuable in the world, and so she dreamed of becoming a doctor. She studied biochemistry in college. She attended medical school. She received specialized training in trauma surgery, taught classes, wrote papers, saved lives, edited books, spoke at national conferences. She proudly wore that white coat as a symbol of her independent, strong identity. But ten years after she first donned that white coat, she took it off for the last time as she gave it all up to be home and disciple her own children. To give her gifts to a much less revered arena in life. Stories like these abound all over the world when people are confronted with the truth of the Gospel and Christ's call in their lives. As dramatic stories unfold like this that makes people who are watching ask why why do they live this way why do they give all of that up how do they face the shame the slander the reviling from colleagues peers friends and family and in our text for today peter is telling us that he expects every single one of you to live in such a way that people will watch and ask the same kinds of questions And when they do ask, will you be ready to give an answer? Peter's call to us in this text today is to honor Christ in our good deeds and our hopeful words. That's the main point of the text. That's the main point of our lives. Everything Peter has done in this book so far has been to equip us for that purpose. He's reminded us of our identity in Christ as sojourners like Israel coming out of Egypt on their way to the promised land, <clears throat> he told us that we are the family of God, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a temple, a dwelling place for God's own spirit. And we live out this identity in the world in really unimpressive, yet powerful ways, which should cause people to respond in wonder. And so in this text, Peter's giving us a little guidance on this task, what our purpose is, how do we do this task well? In verses 13 to 15, we're just going to ponder a little bit what it means to be zealous for good works, for what is good. What are these good works that we are called to? And then in verses 15 to 17, Peter is going to help us always be ready to give an answer. How do we respond when the world reviles us or if they ask us why? This text used to really confound me. In the first ten years or so of my Christian life, I wondered, what is Peter talking about? Not once had anybody ever come up to me and asked me about the hope that is in me. I wondered, what am I missing in my life? What am I not doing that's preventing me from having this experience? So let's go back to verses 13 and 15, read them again, and see how Peter is calling us to be zealous for what is good. Peter writes again, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Strangely, somehow, these Christians he's writing to are suffering for doing good. That doesn't make any sense. Why would people want to hurt you or say bad things about you for being a good person. Unless, maybe, the good things you do seem to draw attention to their misplaced priorities and affections. Somehow, what you give your life to makes them feel like maybe they're wasting their lives or they should be giving their lives to something else. That's the effect that godly living can have in the world. It it stirs people's hearts. But the question we're trying to answer, it's just the music stand, not me. The question we're trying to answer today is what are these good works that cause such stirring in the world? But the answer should be obvious to us already that as we've been going through first Peter, Peter's been telling us that the answer to this since the middle of chapter two, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. Honor the emperor. And he explained with great detail in these sections on what that looks like. First, he told us, honor the government by submitting to their laws. That doesn't mean do every single thing that every politician ever commands of you. It just means be a peaceful citizen. Don't rebel. Don't start revolutions. Pay your taxes. Don't be a political zealot. And similarly... Peter tells us to obey your master, submit to your employer, be a hard worker. Don't complain about what's going on at work. Let people just see your faith in Christ through your diligent productivity. There's enough common grace in this world for all of us to get along without making a huge stink. Jesus doesn't call us to completely separate ourselves from the world and just camp out on our own island But to live in the world and live in such a way that it's, that the world can see our hope is not in the world. Our hope is not in the government protecting us from all threats and fixing every injustice. Our hope is not in economic prosperity and freedom or advancement of our careers. Our hope is somewhere else. Our hope is in Christ and the kingdom that He is bringing. And so we diligently work with all of our efforts quietly in the world, but giving all of our energy to loving our family and building up the church. Husbands and wives honoring one another, serving one another to display this relational image of God that is the foundation to all of our life. And as Jake preached last week, blessing and serving the church family is one of our key ways that we unify ourselves as representatives of Christ here on earth so that together we can build each other up and then go out and invite others to be blessed, to enjoy the blessing that they don't deserve. And yet Christ has poured out so kindly upon us. This is what we are to be all about. These are our good works. They're rather unimpressive, but quite mysteriously powerful. It's not just the nice things that any non-Christian can do, but it's a particular passion for making Christ known in everything, in all the ways that He tells us to be good. In our neighborhoods, in our work, in our homes, in the church. This is what Jesus values as good. Verse 16 kind of reiterates that when it says this good behavior is in Christ. It's done. All of it's done in a way that shows it's not for you. It's not by you. But it's by Him at work in you and for His glory in your life. But friends, that's nice for all of us Christians to say that. But we need to admit that it's too easy for us to get caught up in everything else. All the other discussions and debates, especially right now. Christians are gathering at capital cities to protest. We're online debating all kinds of things. Whether or not the vice president should have wore a mask when he visited our beloved Mayo Clinic. Sure, there might be some biblical wisdom to add to those things, but unfortunately, all these debates do is lead the world to see us more as complainers, arguers, protesters. They We let them believe that our identity is defined by our jobs or our American rights. Which is exactly opposite of what Peter's been telling us. Instead, we are to be a blessing. Speak well of others. Always doing good for others. Praise others. Build them up. Encourage them. Can you imagine what what it would do to someone if you went into a debate and said, you know, I really... Appreciate how passionate you are about this. I can really tell you care deeply about others. Just pull the rug right out from under them. Now, you might think that this may leave us a little vulnerable, right? Put us at risk. People are saying all kinds of ignorant things, false things even about us, Christians, They might say that we're a danger to others or that they'll accuse us of wrongdoing and try to keep us from doing what God has called us to as a church. Peter tells us, don't respond. Just speak kindly. Offer kindness in return. Goodness in return. But shouldn't we stand up for ourselves? How is the truth going to be made known if we don't respond with a clear, sharp counter-argument? But he says in verse 14, don't worry about it. Don't be afraid of them, nor be troubled. Peter's just so relaxed about this whole thing. Because two verses before, he gave us the key. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God is watching out for us. He knows exactly what the world is scheming. He knows what fears are in their hearts and what what secret thoughts are percolating in their minds. But He's at work in the midst of all of it to accomplish His purposes through our quiet, faithful witness and our love for one another. Our only task in this world is to do that. Be peaceful, diligent citizens. Pour our best efforts into the church family and into our homes. But we have this tendency to be thrown off by our circumstances. And it's especially tempting when we've got some like social media where we can post our thoughts and it goes out to the whole world within seconds. And it pulls us right into unfruitful debates. Are the governments responding properly? Should the vice president be wearing a mask? What's the truthful scientific perspective on all these things? What's the best economic policy? What's the best way that we should be educating our children? Peter's telling us, who cares right now? Stop debating. Get off social media if it's too tempting. Nobody's going to ask you about the hope that's in you by your really awesome Facebook post. Nobody's going to be drawn to your Savior by owning them in some comment thread online. Engaging in these debates only tells the world that your hope is placed anywhere but Christ. Instead, we are called in verse 15 to honor Christ the Lord as holy. Now, you might think that means I got to protect the Lord's honor by correcting people. But no, that's the way the world thinks. That's the way Muslims think when Allah and his prophet are offended. We need to jump in and, and give some retribution to retaliate. Now this is the way politics works. Someone said something bad about my candidate or about my platform, so I need to set them straight. But honoring Christ the Lord as holy is exactly the opposite. It means living in a way that trusts He can defend Himself. He doesn't need me to defend His honor. Verses 14 and 15 here are actually quotes from Isaiah chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. Isaiah wrote in chapter 8, Do not fear nor be in dread, but the Lord of hosts, Him shall you honor as holy. So Peter's quoting this as a way of reminding the church that God who took care of Israel surrounded by enemies will take care of you too. Because you have the identity of a new Israel. Notice the change though from Isaiah to Peter. Peter says that Jesus is The Lord. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the God who's taking care of us. Our victory is guaranteed because of His life, death, and resurrection. Our salvation is secure. No one can take it from us. And as we look to Him, He will accomplish His purposes through us. That's what it means to honor Christ the Lord as holy. Trust Him to do what He said He would do. And so above all, we honor Him in everything, living in a way that trusts He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Honor and submission are given to Him as of highest importance. And we typically do this by just submitting, quietly living, not making a big show about how we're not going to listen to the government, but lifting high His name as we gather and as we love our families. And if you live this honorable life for Christ, it will start causing people to ask you questions. Of all the things you could spend your life doing, and there's a lot of amazing things God's given us. Why are you wasting all of your time, all of your effort, all of your energy on loving these people? That doesn't make sense. You're a bunch of weirdos. We are. Why do you face all of it with such joy? You're so excited about it when the world thinks you've misplaced all of your priorities. And so when they ask, we must be ready to give an answer. That's where Peter's preparing us in in verses 15 to 17. Let's read them again. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So when you live in a way that's zealous for showing your trust in Jesus, it's going to cause people to do one or two things, revile you, or maybe ask why. And when they do ask, we need to be prepared for it. What makes this actually a little more difficult, though, is that it never comes the way you're expecting. It never comes when you're ready for it. This question arrives when you don't have time for it, or maybe in words that you weren't expecting. So I said before, for the first ten years of my Christian life, I never had anyone ask that question. And then over the last eight or so years, something strange kind of happened. Molly and I started adopting kids. We decided, let's add kids to our family through adoption. And we didn't realize the great significance of it then. We just thought God gave us this idea and let's be faithful to it. But as we pursued this work of adoption and brought more kids into our home, I found myself in situations where people were asking a lot of questions. On the bus to work. In the courtroom, people would ask the question. Even getting my hair cut when I had hair. They would ask these questions and then it dawned on me. They're asking me about the hope that is in me. And I could give them all kinds of right answers that would just kind of diffuse the situation. Well, you know, kids need homes and I have one, so why not? Or, you know, we want to be pro-life and I want to give these kids a good life. Give them an opportunity. Or we just love children so much and we want to be open to all the options to add to our family. But the real reason Christ called us to adopt was so that we could tell people that Jesus is the only faithful Son of God who lived perfectly obediently to the Father. And yet He died as a rebel. And rose from the dead so that all of you who trust in him will be made children of God, given an eternal inheritance. This is why we adopt, and this is the answer, the reason for the hope that is in our family. So many of you may have heard this verse before, 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15. It's the classic apologetics ministry verse, and it, it makes you nervous. Because you don't think you are well enough equipped to defend our faith. These apologetics ministries get their name from this verse. Apologetics is the Greek word for defense. And out of a good will and good desires, they say they want to put extra effort into having an answer for every doubt, every question, every skeptic, so that Christianity is able to answer every objection with a logical, thoughtful, rational, persuasive answer. It seems like a good idea, but that's not at all what Peter is talking about. Those might be honoring pursuits for some people. I have nothing. I'm good. All right. Some people might be called to such a ministry, but not all of us. That's not what Peter's calling all of us to be. So many people feel like they can't do evangelism because they don't think they're equipped to answer every objection, every question. What if there's some doubt or some contradiction that I don't know how to answer? What if I'm not a good debater or I trip over my words Because somehow we've come to believe that defending the faith means being argumentative, really smart, and dropping well-placed one-liners to trap skeptics right in their tracks. We think that defending the faith means being well-versed in philosophy, world religions, history, politics, science, and then having the ability to grab at any of those resources at any time and give a good answer. But if your witness is dependent upon your exhaustive knowledge or your smooth, eloquent words, then someone's salvation depends on your skill and your intellect. And really, you're just honoring yourself and not Christ. This desire to have all knowledge or eloquence actually just reveals a lack of faith. Too much pride in ourselves. It's trying to be God. Who alone has all knowledge? Who alone has the power to save? So always be ready to give an answer. Doesn't mean have a different answer for every possible question. But it means have the exact same answer for all questions. If people see you living peaceably, blessing others, facing mockery and suffering, yet loving your family... And loving your church. And then they're going to ask about it. And there's only one thing you need to say to them. We've so complicated this whole witness. But it's really just quite simple. The answer is always Christ crucified and risen from the dead. That's it. We respond with confidence in that. And let him do the work of convincing and transforming So why do we love the church and strive to gather in any way we can even at risk of possible illness or shame from our neighbors? Because Jesus died and rose from the dead to gather us around His throne. Why do we shower our spouses with affection and work so diligently to build them up? Because Jesus came to wash His bride, the church, by His blood, make her pure, and guarantee her a spot beside Him in heaven. Why do we adopt? Because Jesus died and rose from the dead to give us a place in His family. Why do we open our homes to feed one another? Because Jesus died and rose from the dead to welcome us into His home. Why do we serve the poor? Because Jesus died and rose from the dead to serve us in our time of need. Why do we endure foolish government policies? Because Jesus died and rose from the dead to make us citizens of a new kingdom that has overcome this world. Why do we work diligently for our employer? Because Jesus died and rose from the dead to restore our image-bearing dominion over the earth. Why do we endure suffering with joy? Because Jesus died and rose from the dead to secure for us eternal rest with no suffering, no pain, no more death. And slander only makes me want it more. And death only gives it to me sooner. Whatever you do, whatever you spend the rest of this day doing, Make sure you can defend it on the grounds of Christ crucified and risen from the dead. Some might be equipped to go a little deeper into all these things. Most of us aren't. But all of us are called to explain the hope that Christ's death and resurrection guarantees us an eternal inheritance in his new creation. This was Paul's answer for everything. He went to the Corinthians and he said in 1 Corinthians, I have determined to know nothing among you except for Christ and him crucified. And when people asked him, why do you endure so much suffering and slander? He explained in 2 Corinthians 5, for the love of Christ compels us because we have concluded this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is the reason for the hope in Paul. And this is the answer that you must always be ready to give. Because the love of Christ compels us. That's why we live this way. Because we are convinced that Jesus died for sinners like us and rose from the dead to guarantee that one day we will rise with Him for all eternity. And I must live that. And I must share that. Any other answer distracts from honoring Christ the Lord as holy. We don't do any good works in this world to give attention to ourselves, but to Christ. Peter says in verses 15-16 that we do it with gentleness and respect and a clear conscience. We're not trying to win an argument or overthrow empires. We're not trying to put anyone to shame, put anyone in their place. That's not what Peter means when he says they'll be put to shame. He's simply saying that on the final day, God will bring justice and your simple witness will be used as evidence against them. Let your quiet, joyful endurance of hardship be your testimony in this world. We're not going to convince anyone by arguing that Jesus is better. In fact, Peter wants to remind us that actually, the world's probably not going to like you anyway. No amount of peaceable living, diligent work, love for your family is going to convince them to give their life to Christ. In, in one sense, we're just really trying to get out of the way and say, here you go, Jesus, do it. You said you would through your church and through my love for my neighbors and my family. So the early church, they also had a false reputation in this world. All kinds of ignorant accusations were leveled against them. Science deniers, religious quacks, rebels against the social order, incestuous, cannibals, just ridiculous things. And having a clear conscience means knowing that none of them are true and I feel zero responsibility to respond. I'll let Jesus take care of it. Instead, we just let our joyful life, our words of blessing, our love for our families and our church be the testimony of Christ at work. And when you face suffering and slander with joy and hope, it just highlights the different kind of love we have. The different kind of goodness at work in us. And so Peter ends by saying it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Just don't join that sinful game. Get off of Facebook and stay out of the news. Arguing will only lead them to find more reasons to mock us. It distracts from our hope in Christ. Stand on the simple truth of the gospel. And it's better to suffer being called ignorant than to be pulled away. It's better to quietly love your church than earn a bunch of mockery for some political stunt. For what does it profit a man to win an argument and lose someone's soul? So let me finish up just asking a couple of questions about our main ideas, our two outline points. Are you zealous for what is good? What attitudes, behaviors need to change in your life today so the world can see that you are trusting Christ and nothing else? What task might God be calling you? What big leap might He be calling you to take so that others will be forced to ask why? How zealously are you loving your family and your church? Whatever God is bringing to mind right now, Repent of building your own kingdom and bringing honor to your own name. Ask him to forgive you and make you zealous for what is good. That peaceable life, that diligent work, that love for your family, that desire to gather with God's people. All of these things matter right now, friends. The world's going crazy with all these debates about the COVID pandemic and how we're supposed to respond. And how we speak and act reflects where our hope is. And Peter's telling us, don't argue. Don't be obnoxious. Don't post online protests and gotcha articles. It's just distracting. Remember the gospel. Honor the Lord Jesus being zealous for what is good. Quietly do the work of loving your family and blessing one another. Finally, are you ready to give an answer? Not have you studied enough to have an exhaustive knowledge to be able to defend every question. But do you know the gospel? Do you live the gospel? Meditate on it. Rehearse it. Be inspired by the gospel. You don't need to become an apologetics expert on philosophy, science, text criticism, world history, world religions. You need to know that Jesus lived a perfect life. He died the death that you deserve. He rose from the dead to give you confidence that you will be raised together with Him forever. That is the hope that is in you. Live and speak in such a way as my brother Mike said to me on Wednesday, that Christ gets the last I told you so, not you. Be zealous for what is good. Be ready to give an answer. Honor Christ the Lord as holy. Let's pray. God, we can't do this unless You do it in us. I thank You, God, for these people here and those watching who say, I want to be with God's people because that's where I see Jesus. And that's where I make Him known is through His gathered people. And I pray this would continue to be a witness to a world that is Fearful right now, afraid, confused that this one thing is sure. Christ died for sinners and Christ rose from the dead and there is nothing that can shake us from that. May we exalt his name in that truth in our homes and in our gatherings and see you do amazing things things by your Spirit for the glory of your risen Son, Father. Amen.